but yeah, let's go ahead and say a prayer, if you will. Lord, um, we come before you. We thank you for um, all the awakening that did take place uh, during the civil rights movement with Martin Luther King Jr. being the face and the voice and a lot of others working really hard and praying really hard and uh, some of the progress that was made there. We just thank you so much for that. And, and Martin Luther King really decided that the crimes against humanity are racism, poverty, and war. And, and we know that those are horrible evils. And Lord, we pray that you would help us in our day and age to, to take up our position and, and to lead people in your ways. But we also know, Jesus, that you taught in the Sermon on the Mount that the great evils are anger and lust and divorce. So we pray that we would take those to heart as well, Lord. And that, um, that justice would roll down, that truth would march on, and that your light and your grace would win the day, Lord. And we thank you for all the hope that's in your word and all the promises you've given us and that you won't fail. We rejoice in that today. And we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we as a church have decided to do 21 days of fasting and prayer, and uh, we kick every year off with this, and so if you're here and it's your first time, sorry, you're going to get a whole teaching on fasting, whether you like it or not, um, and if you're here and you've been coming to church for a while, thank you for coming back after we did a teaching on fasting last week and said we were going to teach on fasting again. Maybe you forgot. <laughs> But uh, maybe you really are hungry for the Lord. And so we as a church, we do this because we want 21 days of saying to Jesus, we want more of you than anything this world can offer. Well, I'm fishing for some amens right there. Um, we also want 21 days of letting heaven's perspective saturate our souls more than the stuff of earth, which is always competing for our allegiance. Yeah, a little better, a little better. And 21 days of joining our hearts together as a church family in the fellowship of a little suffering um, and hungering and thirsting for God's righteousness. That is what we are doing. That's what we're committed to. And the way it's looked is we spend these Sundays kind of unpacking fasting and what that means as a practice, not only that, you know, is new to us maybe, but it's been going on throughout church history. It's something that Jesus himself did. It's something that he expected his followers to do. And for really the majority of the church history, every single Wednesday and Friday was basically a call to fast for the people of God. That was picked up from what happened before then. The people of God within Judaism, they would fast on Mondays and Wednesdays as a practice because it was that intricate to their following of, of, the, of God. That was that important in the way that they would have their relationships with the Lord. And we've kind of lost sight of that some in our days. So what we've done as a church is we've just started off simple and we've said every Wednesday we want our church, if you're a part of our church, whether online or in person, we want you to fast from food on Wednesdays. From the time you wake up until 6 p.m. where we come and we meet together in our gym, we have some soup. And it's so funny how soup just can taste so good. It's like just soup, but man, it tastes like magic is in that soup. But anyways, so we go up together, we eat a little soup, and then we come over here and we pray. And we seek the Lord together, and man, it was a good place to be on, that, on Wednesday night, last Wednesday. Um, you, couldn't, you couldn't be in that space for that hour and not feel like, okay, you know, little glimmers of hope. 
um, little strength, little comfort, little joy, just kind of breaking into whatever you might have come into that situation with. And so I really want to encourage you to join us this Wednesday if you can and just be in this space as we seek the Lord together. Um, our teachings on the Sundays, we've been doing, um, so last Sunday we did fasting as starving the flesh, not starving the body. The body is good, but there's this reality to us, the old man, the flesh, all of that sinful nature that, that uh, sometimes we need to starve. And then we have fasting as prayer, which we'll talk about today. And really, um, prayer is kind of the main focus, and fasting is just supposed to be in the backdrop a little bit as we really talk about prayer um, and how fasting actually it, it can help focus our prayer and enhance our prayer life, which hopefully we want. And then to, uh, next week, we're going to be talking about fasting as solidarity with the poor, basically coming from Isaiah 58, as God says, this is the kind of fast that I like. Um, and so we'll get into that. Uh, we've talked about a few pitfalls, and I think I just want to bring those to mind as we go through a process of fasting, whether you're you know, joining us with those Wednesdays and fasting from food, or you know, like my family, sometimes we'll do things like we'll... we'll We'll, uh, you know, not eat sweets or we won't watch TV for less time or, you know, sometimes I'll like try and take my car rides, I'll just create space there in my car rides where I'm not listening to music or listening to teachings or trying to get things solved or, you know, making phone calls. But it's just like, okay, Lord, there's another little space I'm carving out for you to do whatever you want to do. Um, but during this time, we got to watch out for these pitfalls. The pitfalls are fasting or doing other spiritual disciplines, thinking that it will make God love you more. That's, that's a pitfall. You cannot make God love you more than he already does. His love for you is absolute, complete, and unchangeable no matter what you do. It's fascinating. It's not like my love. You can make me not love you. <laughs> you can make me love you more. Sad to say, I'm working on that. But God's not like that at all. He loves you completely right now. He loved you at your worst, even if today is that day. His love is complete for you. You cannot change it. Anything you do, good or bad, his love will continue to remain thick and strong and thorough for you. And you cannot fast to get God's attention. Spiritual disciplines, things we do, they don't cause God to give us more attention because God, we've told through the scriptures, his thoughts towards you are more than the sands of the seashore in number. He's always thinking about you. He's got plans for you. He's excited. Anytime you give him a little space, he's like, let me tell you what I've been thinking about. And he's got to share those plans with you. He loves you deeply, deeply, deeply and has all kinds of thoughts and ideas about your life and what he made you for. And so fasting these spiritual things, they're not, they're not causing God to love us more. They're not causing God to give us more attention. They're just creating space for God to come and show up and, and us to experience his love in whatever way he decides, and to hear his thoughts, whatever he decides. And then the last thing is we gotta make sure, this has just been a helpful thing for me, is we never wanna get to the place where we're doing anything in our relationship with the Lord to kinda like rub the lamp to get the genie to do what we want, like somehow we can control God. We've gotta always just kinda remember our, our spot in the relationship. But with all that being said, we have been invited into this thing called prayer. Prayer is, is so important. Basically, there are all kinds of people in this world that would say they are not a follower of God, they're not a believer in God, yet they would still check off the box that says, but I pray. Prayer is, a, is just a, such a deep reality to being human, to, to, to be praying people, to, to have a prayer life. 
And, 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 and our relationship with God is basically all based on our conversations, our listening and speaking with God. So prayer is vitally, vitally important. It's probably one of the most important things we can do as believers in God is pray. And so um, what happens when our prayer life is not too impressive or our prayer life doesn't feel like there's actually any real goodness there? Or strength there? Is there something that we can do to help? And that's where fasting comes in. So, but first, before we jump into the fasting part, I want to just kind of do a little bit of a talk on prayer. Now, prayer, I don't know anything about. <laughs> Honestly, the more I think about it, the more I dive into it, the more I'm just like, man, I'm bad at prayer. But nice to know the Bible is very, very clear that God doesn't kind of require us to have a degree in prayer to be able to pray. We're just supposed to start praying. And so prayer is an amazing and powerful and mysterious thing, and the Bible is full of teaching and theology meant to inform and develop our prayer lives as followers of Christ. But on the one hand, the Bible gives us comfort and assurance knowing God is sovereign, and whenever we pray, or whether we pray enough or pray correctly, his will can and will be accomplished. So there's a, there's a great comfort in the scriptures that it's not up to you. Whether you're good at prayer, bad at prayer, Remember to pray, forget to pray, pray for 30 seconds, and then you're like, yeah, squirrel, you know? Like, what, whatever it is, God is sovereign. God, God is bigger than your weaknesses or your gaps. God's will can and will be accomplished whether we get prayer right, remember to pray, pray the right prayer, pray enough, any of those things, God's will can be accomplished. So there's great comfort in that in the scriptures However, keep reading. Keep reading the Bible and you'll run into some other things. On the other hand, the Bible gives us the urgent and important calling to participate with God's sovereignty in making his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A little more disconcerting, a little bit more of a calling, an urgency for us to actually take up our role in prayer because we have stories like Moses changing God's mind with his intercessions for the people. Now, just me saying that, if you're a Bible student, you know there's all kinds of nuance in that and there's like Pharaoh's heart being hardened and obviously the writer was trying to talk about that, that divine dynamic, that divine romance and dance between God and people and how God's will is accomplished but we play a part but really it's God helping us play. So we can get into all that but we're not gonna do that today. Basically, if you run into that story, you really do see that Moses' intercessions for the people of God changed God's thoughts towards the people. That's one of the things you're supposed to take away from the story. And it's a challenge, but it's a beautiful thing. Then you keep reading and you run into stories like the unrighteous, unchosen people of Nineveh, not, not a people of God, not a nation for God, none of that, basically Las Vegas. No offense, unless it's necessary. Um, just for context, but basically that's Nineveh. But they repented from the evil they were doing and God repented of the judgment that he was going to bring upon them. So as they turned away from the evil that they were doing, God turned away from the judgment he was gonna bring to them. Their repentance, their prayers, and actually fasting at that time caused God, God's plan to change is what we're supposed to take away, a bit of that in this story. Again, nuance and all kinds of theological discussions there, fun, awesome. But 
we can't get away from the fact that inspired by the Spirit, the writer was trying to help us see an aspect in our relationship with God that is very interesting. And actually the word is nacham in the Hebrew. It's fun to say. <laughs> nacham. Um, nacham in the Hebrew, which is the word for repent or turn away, and it's a fascinating study in how what we do can affect what God does. Um, I don't know why he's given us any kind of role, any kind of authority, any kind of anything. However, um, he has. And uh, he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. So we gotta take him up on this offer to interact with him through prayer. And I do want this to be a little bit of a comfort as we go in. As with everything, it's not all up to you. It's all up to God, remember that. But also remember that since it's up to God, he wants you to be a part of it. He's made certain things, and I do believe that there are certain things that we are supposed to participate with him in. And if we do participate, there is a greater blessing for us and someone else. And if we don't participate, there is a loss in what could and should have been. And again, what's so comforting about the story of Jonah, remember Jonah kept getting it wrong, kept running the wrong way, and God still was like, you know, in, in his great mercy, brought Jonah around to finally Jonah did play his part, and it brought about one of the greatest revivals in all of time, even though he was reluctant in that. So anyways, great comfort there. Um, one other thing to note, we have been taking our cues on this sermon series in this season um, from a thing called practicingtheway.org. It's a website, but it's also an organization that's committed themselves to try and help people in their spiritual formation, basically to, to be formed into the image of Christ. And so they're creating a lot of material and different things um, for individuals, for churches, for life groups, kind of stuff. Um, so if, you, anything, if your interest is piqued on anything we're saying, you can check out practicingtheway.org, um, and uh, you can take some deeper dives, and hopefully that'll be a helpful resource. So for today, though, Again, I want to put prayer on the, on the, on the, in the front of the lens and fasting kind of in the back. And, uh, but I do want, to, want us to see how fasting adds focus to our prayers. Again, prayer being the most important thing, but fasting is a helpful thing to focus our prayers. And it does that in three ways. It aligns our body and soul in pursuit of God. It does that by heightening our discernment for the will of God. And it does that by increasing our empathy and mercy when it comes to praying. Um, to God. So those are the three things we're going to unpack a little bit, and then we're going to have our own time to put these things into practice. We're going to have another five-minute window for us to just kind of pray. Hopefully, you got one of those journals, and if not, you can use the notes on your phone, or maybe you're trained in the art of focus, and you can just focus your brain. I remember my mom used to have a list. She'd make a list, and she would pray through those things, and um, I tried that. I was like, man, my mind is just like Dear Lord, you know, like, bam, over there. What's that song? Okay, I can't hear that. Oh, man, I'm hungry. Like, I just, my, I'm just, I've been working on it. I journal. Journal's actually been a big practice for me because it's like, I'll be writing and then I'll just be like thinking and I'll be like, oh, I only wrote three words. Let's get back to it, you know? So uh, there's these things that help us focus and she made this list. And I was always number three on the list. And I uh, wasn't quite sure how to process that. Now it was, it was Peter, Jonathan, and David. I was the third born, so... Like, it made sense that I'd be third on the list, but I was, like, trying not to read too much into that, you know. Third on the list. I'm, uh, 
Um, anyways, so the first thing that prayer or that fasting added to our prayers does, it aligns our body and soul in pursuit of God. So in Ezra chapter eight, if you wanna grab a Bible and turn there, we're just gonna breathe there for a bit and we'll have the verses up on the screen. Ezra chapter eight, verse 21. There by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from the enemies because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his anger is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this and he answered our prayer. Now this is an account from a guy named Ezra who was a priest and he was living in Babylon and the people of God had been exiled from Israel and Jerusalem. They'd been torn out of their country and made slaves and captives in the Babylon um, you know, regime. And they were there for 70 years. And then after that 70 years, some sort of miracle, awesome thing, the king of that time said, hey, if any of you Israelites wanna go back and rebuild Jerusalem and kind of get things back to where they were, you are free to go. And so Ezra, the priest, was, who had been praying and longing to, to be able to go back and, you know, they'd been praying towards the temple and all these type of things, he decided he was going to lead a remnant of people back to Jerusalem. And so he gets all the people together and they go hang out by the Ahava Canal as they're getting ready to cross that and, and head out into the wilderness and head back to Jerusalem. And what they know in their mind is that this is a very dangerous journey. This is a long journey. It's across the desert. It's through enemy territory, and we don't even really know what we're going to find when we get to Jerusalem. All we've ever heard is that it's been destroyed. And so mentally, they had this reality that they were going through, thinking it all through and kind of trying to figure out how to, you know, pack up the, the, the wagon or whatever, correct? You know, like some of you guys, you know about packing the trunk when your family's going on vacation. You're like, we got to get this dialed in. Get out of here, kid. You know. um, but they had that. They had, they had their possessions. They had their children. They had everybody was going with them. And so they had a lot of calculating to do. And that was a reality that they were bringing before the Lord. But they also had this, this sense of emotions, right? Your soul being your mind and emotions. They had an emotional reality to this whole journey that they were going on. They were leaving what they did know. They were going back. There was excitement. There was uncertainty. There was fear. There was scared. You know, some people were freaking out. Some people were saying, hey, it's going to be fine. You know, there was all that kind of, those type of people. All of that was a reality there. And, and then there was another reality that there was a physical reality. And Isaiah or Ezra was tapping into that physical reality because he was basically saying, as we come before the Lord, I want us to be in complete alignment as we seek him, as we pursue him. Because if our mind and our emotions are going one way, but our body is not going that other way, there's, a, there's, a, there's less of a focus. There's a diminishing result. This, this is what I wrote about it. Ezra wanted everyone to realize that natural and earthly things could not help them in what they were about to do. That's where he mentions he didn't want to ask the king because he was trying to do something that was beyond what just the king could help. He wanted to see a move of God. And so he didn't want earthly things to help him. He wanted their physical bodies to be in unity with their soul's feelings. When our soul is full of angst or despair or hunger for God or longing for heaven, but our body is satisfied or full from the things of earth, there is a diminishing focus in our prayers. It's that simple. 
And other re religions have tapped into this in the sense of even like yoga. You know, like there's certain positions that will help you in kind of your connection with the spirit and all these things. Jesus, he taught us not yoga. He taught us that basically when you pray, go into a closet and get on your knees. And what he's saying there is there's a reality to the situation you're in that will help you focus in your prayers. And there's actually physical positions that will help you take the right posture of humility before God. So this is not something foreign, but this fasting is a reality where basically like John Piper and Scott McKnight, they actually call fasting is when your body prays. And somehow it's kind of this whole body coming together in pursuit of God. It's not enough for me to just kind of try and focus my mind and my thoughts on prayers and petitions. It's not just some mo uh, those moments where you're really, really feeling a desire to see God move because something horrible has happened to you or to a loved one. And that kind of grief and that lament is easy to come by and bring to the Lord, which is a beautiful thing. But then there's this other aspect, there's our body. There's our body that can also become an alignment. And you can take that and reverse some of those things. Maybe your body and your emotions are alignment, but you're full of Netflix. And it's just like, you know, can't really figure out why my prayer life isn't kind of getting through, why I'm not being more formed by my prayers and I'm not catching the, the will of the Lord like I, like I want to be in alignment with it. Well, maybe it's some of those things. Maybe, maybe you kind of need to take a season where you bring everything into together and see what the Lord might do. Um, James chapter five gives us this picture of, of the righteous man. The, righteous, the, the prayers of the righteous man are effective and powerful. Or in the King James, it says, the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous person uh, avails much, it accomplishes much. And, and so it's a kind of a little measure on ours. Do you feel like your prayers are powerful and effective? Or do you feel like there's, there's something lacking there? Well, again, Keep praying, keep seeking the Lord, but there's some other things you can do to kind of, you know, move in that direction a bit. Um, and that's something I feel often is scattered and fragmented in my prayer life. But, uh, but fasting, among other things, can really help us in that focus. So the second thing is it heightens our discernment for the will of God. Acts chapter 13, if you want to go there, um, we get another little story. All these stories are basically like, Moments where something massive shifted for the people of God, and yet there was this catalytic moment of fasting and prayer. So Acts chapter 13, verse one says, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan who had been brought up with, the, um, with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And so this was a real, I mean, the reason this is recorded in the Bible is because this really created a seismic shift in, in the church, in the history of the church, um, in the history of the gospel and, and what took place there. Um, the truth is that, um, that what took place here really has resulted in what's taking place right here. I mean, you and I, the majority of us in this room are in this room because of this moment. Because the Spirit separated Paul and Barnabas and sent them to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So if you're a Gentile in this room, which basically means not, not Jewish, then, then what happened here really, really kind of ushered in 
what, what you know of the Lord. So if you're a Gentile, you can be like, holla, what's up? Acts 13, it's a good moment in my life. Um, so anyways, but, but what they did here is as a church, they gathered together and they, they called a, a fast for all the people. And they were, they were coupling their fasting with worship. And then we see later fasting with prayer. And basically they're fasting as they were pursuing God, as they were kind of trying to enter in and hear the will of God. I don't know if they were seeking specifically God's will. I don't know if Paul and Barnabas were like, hey, we got this idea. Can we pray about it? I don't know exactly what it brought it about, but the result was they had a heightened awareness, a discernment for the will of God. And they were able to catch what God's will was for the whole church, but in particular, two people in the church. The whole church, because these were their pastors and teachers that God was saying, hey, I want to take them and send them somewhere else, and they were going to have to navigate that whole reality. But, but it was specifically for Paul and Barnabas and their, their families and their loved ones, all of those things. It had a major effect on them. And so it was this heightened discernment that fasting helped with. Can you discern God's will without fasting? Yes. Can it help? Yes. Yes. And if you're having trouble, if you're in a season of your life right now where you're like, I can't figure it out. Fasting could be something that's really helpful. One, to help you figure out what God's will is. And two, is whether God's already told you his will and you're just being stubborn or scared. <laughs> Fasting can help with both those things, you know? Boom, boom, boom. Because um, that's my story a lot. And uh, so anyways, on this regard, we have the church in Antioch fasting to discover God's will. Um, so too, when we fast... When we add fasting to our prayers to know God's will in a situation, we dull one sense, giving rise to another. Like when someone puts a blindfold on your eyes, it causes you to kind of think a little bit more with your ears. Your ears become more focused to know what's going on. And, and so too, fasting puts a blindfold on our earthly appetites so we can more easily pick up on heaven's perspective. Um, and that's what was, that was happening in this church at this time, when we decrease our dependency on the things of earth, it heightens our sense for the things of heaven. Um, and then the third thing, increases our empathy and mercy. Now, has anybody taken a spiritual gifts test? Anyone, anyone? It's not embarrassing, you can, you can admit it. Um, I'm not gonna be like, what did you get, you know? Um, but actually, if you go through our Explore class, that's part of what we're trying to help people do is discover what are some of the things the Lord has put inside them that they can use for his glory. Um, and on those tests, you know, Romans chapter 12 has a list of things, and on the, there's a bunch of different things. One of them is called mercy. And I do not score well in the category of mercy. And it's funny, because I've given the test and taken the test enough now to you, I should be able to cheat the test. <laughs> not that that would be helpful, but I still can't find mercy coming up. And... Uh, and it's actually something that I'm trying to learn a lot right now, and I feel like the Lord's kind of leading me into right now. Um, and uh, in this last week, as I fasted on Wednesday with no food, I mean, everything was going good for most of the day, and then it was like 9 a.m. Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I made it past 9 a.m. Um, but, uh, but definitely, you know, there was a time around 1.30 or 2, and I, I, I mean, I had a full day of work. I was actually unloading tile from a truck for a portion of the day. So I, I mean, I was, I, was, I was feeling it. And, uh, and it was just so interesting because as I was going through that process, I was, as I was feeling those, I was trying to use my hunger pains and what hunger was not actually the big issue. The headache that came, 
that was, that was a little bit more potent. But it was like I was using the headache and the hunger pains to kind of be like my alarm clock to pray. So whenever those things were happening, it was like, okay, bam, now I'm going to pray. And so my prayers at first, you know, were kind of whatever. They were just mainly the prayers that I'd normally been praying. Um, but at this time, as my hunger and my headache was kind of getting intense, um, I really did start finding myself praying for people who don't have food you know, who aren't fasting by choice, but basically they don't really have a lot of options. They have food insecurity. And that did just kind of real quickly after that, it led me to start really thinking about all the people I know in my life that are, that are lacking right now in other things. They have other insecurities. They have other challenges or they're going through really hard times and really praying for them. And I, I spent a lot of time praying for them. And, and my prayers were kind of, you know, probably a little bit more empathetic and merciful than without that. And that continued to happen through the day and it was just, it was just neat for me and I was actually excited because I was like, oh, this is a cool thing that's happening for me that I've never really noticed. But that as my hunger and as my, my kind of headache or whatever discomfort increases, I really do find myself ha- uh, kind of increasing my empathy and, and, and mercy in my prayers. Um, and that's something that we see in Daniel chapter nine. Uh, we're gonna spend a little time here. So again, if you wanna turn there, you can. Uh, Daniel chapter 9, we see Daniel, um, who was like, this was a guy who was good at prayer. He's an awesome prayer guy. Um, but he, in Daniel chapter 9, um, in the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descendant, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, so he's practicing reading the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolations of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, and then he added also sackcloth and ashes. So this Wednesday, we're gonna have a whole bunch of sackcloth and ashes. No, just kidding. You can bring, you can bring your own sackcloth and ashes if you want. Um, I don't even know where to get a good sackcloth these days. Um, but anyways, he added those things because... As he, as he discerned what the Lord was doing, he realized that God was punishing his people. That's a reality. God does discipline those he loves. He does punish those that need it. He sits as judge. That's one of the ways he wants us to see him. And so Daniel realized that the people of God, his people, the Israelites, they had turned away from God. They had forsaken God. They had forsaken Sabbath. They had done all these things that that God didn't want them to do, and they hadn't done the things that God wanted them to do. And so God allowed a foreign nation to come and wipe them out and destroy them horrifically and take them as captives to Babylon. And his heart broke. Even though he was seemingly doing okay there in Babylon, he was a royal official. Even though he was not one of those people that had forsaken God and turned from God, actually he'd been to a lion's den and spent the night there hanging out with the lions because of his continuous following and practicing the way of God. And yet he's lamenting, he's grieving, he's heartbroken because he knows how far his people have gotten away from the things of God and he puts himself in their camp. 
He doesn't separate and say, Lord, they are evil, bad people. He said, Lord, we have sinned. We have fallen short of your glory. Have mercy on us. There's an empathy and a mercy that we're going to read his prayer in just a minute, and it's going to hopefully, you know, kind of inspire and be an example for us as we go into our prayer time. But Daniel, definitely, as we read his prayer, you're going to be shocked because you're like, this Daniel, Daniel is saying we have sinned, we're covered with shame, we've failed. And you're like, Dan, Daniel? Not Daniel. But he's putting himself in their shoes. He's putting himself with the people as he comes before God. And so Jesus said to us, he said, if you pray in my name, I will give those things to you, which is a fascinating thing. But then if you look at the word name in the Greek, really what it means is character. So if you pray in accordance with my character, you're going to get these things. And the problem is, is we come to the Lord and we pray in accordance with our character, right? Our desires, our wants. And so that's where prayer, a big part of prayer is saying, Lord, I'm coming to you because ultimately I want to begin to pray the things that are already in your heart. I want to get in alignment with you in that regard. And we pray those things, we're going to, we're going to see a lot of the, the things that the Lord is doing. We're going to see answers to our prayers because we're praying the things that are in God's heart. And prayer all of a sudden becomes a lot more exciting and fulfilling when we're praying the things that God wants. We're getting to understand the things that he wants. And that's what Daniel was doing here. Um, and that's what we're gonna try and do today. So with that being said, um, the character of God is always full of mercy. Jesus said, I, I, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, so we can know that when we're praying those prayers, he will answer them. Um, so I'm gonna read this to us right now. It's a little long, but we're grown-ups. Um, and, uh, and you can get out your journal, you can get out your phone notes or whatever. Watch out for that, though, because those notifications, they like to ding. Um, but we're just gonna have some time with just kind of letting Daniel's prayer, um, think about it, he's praying for his nation. He's praying for, for his loved ones. He's praying for the people in his life who he knows are not following God and he wishes they were. He could be praying for his family. We don't, but but as, you, as he prays, I want you to just kind of see how Daniel is just empathizing with the people around him and he's calling on the Lord's mercy. And so then we're gonna move into a time where we're gonna have five minutes of space just to do that as well. So here's Daniel's prayer. He says, I prayed to the Lord and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we're covered with shame. The men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far and all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and our kings, our princes, our fathers are covered with shame because we've sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God to keep the laws. He gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what was done to Jerusalem. 
just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord, our God, by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our fathers have been have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. But now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on this desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. And so just take some time now in this space and pray. Pray for our nation. Pray for those who you know don't know the Lord. Pray for those who are enemies, who are very difficult for you maybe. Ask the Lord to increase your empathy and Teach you how to pray prayers of mercy. Ask him to give him your heart, give you his heart for those people. And just come before the Lord and allow him to lead your prayers.